welcome back or welcome to the Humans of Triathlon or Hot podcast where we bring you the ordinary but extraordinary world of triathlon one human one story at a time with the aim to inspire and to celebrate this life-changing sport and its humans through real authentic raw and enjoyable conversations with humans of triathlon from around the globe and from all walks of life Welcome, humans of triathlon, to another fantastic session of uh, our humans of triathlon podcast. And as you can imagine, I am not Swapneil, and uh, Swapneil. This is not Swapneil with a with a cold that has a deeper voice either. So uh, this is Charles uh, Carlos, uh, aka Charles Hunk, who's taking over uh, the the headquarters for today, and I am. In the company of the lovely Shayla Trelevin, who is uh, joining us from the east coast of Canada. And today, as usual, we have a fantastic guest. Okay. So, the C word, cancer. It has a way of affecting almost all of us in some way, either through a parent, partner, friend, a colleague, But what if it's you who has cancer? What then? You fight, you suffer, you hopefully recover, and then you hope to move forward, losing the newfound identity of the person who has cancer and become the person that you actually are. Our guest today has fought and beat cancer, has moved forward, and is no longer that guy with cancer. Although he hit several bumps along the way, Through his journey of recovery, the support of his family and friends, and the sport of triathlon, he has become stronger, smarter, better, and is here to share his journey with us. Please welcome, from Stirling, Scotland, Jordy Graham. Hi there. Hey. Hi. Hey. (laughs) Welcome, Jordan. How are you feeling? I feel good. Nervous, but good. (laughs) It's okay. It's okay. The, the, The listeners, they don't know, but this is not live, so you should feel very comfortable now mm-hmm. you're allowed to i'm sure i'm sure yeah. any as we go on <laughs> <laughs> right um actually so just to give you you know like a little cue so you can start giving us all that fantastic uh sort of um story behind uh behind your your life if you want mm-hmm. we, we usually mm-hmm. do is we try to obviously go back and we ask uh, our guests to start from the very beginning from your childhood, how was it? How much were you involved in sports, etc.? Anything you want to tell us about that? Uh, I was born in 1990. Had a very, very normal upbringing. Nothing really exciting there. Um, I went to a small school called um, Rappel Primary. The Rappel in Scotland was quite a sort of, sort of what we call, let's call it a notorious estate, full of <laughs> ruffians and vagabonds. Really, and that was really it. It was a pretty normal upbringing. Nothing, nothing too extreme there. Um, went to high school. Uh, I played rugby there. Um, it was fu- rugby was in my family sort of all along. Really, my uncle he's played for Scotland. Um, he, he had played thirty times for Scotland. Yeah, so there was always a sort of sporty background, and um, yeah, really, sort of moved on from there. Um, rugby was sort of always 
it was always in my family, but then when I finished high school, sort of stopped stopped playing rugby really. I had the sort of the usual sort of teenage years of going out drinking, blah blah blah, all those sort of things. <laughs> um, as you do, um, sort of lost my way with sport in a way, and yeah, just found a job, done what everyone really does, became a very sort of a very average person, and then it all sort of changed when I was twenty five, really, uh, when I was diagnosed with testicular cancer. Um, it was felt a sort of felt a small lump. Got a bit of a fright, really. Sort of didn't really know what to do. Left it a couple of weeks, which really no one you really shouldn't do that. Is what I learned <laughs> is to leave it, and it just gets worse and worse. Really, really foolish of me. So I left it for a couple of weeks and realised that hmm, this this isn't really going away. Even though I didn't even know what it was at the time. I knew it wasn't really all that good. So. so- so what exactly did you feel? Like you you said you, you said it was a lump. Where do you feel it, and how how was it strange? Um, it was just it was something that was new. It was never there before. It was probably about the size of sort of my thumbnail, really. It was just sort of rough, and yeah, it was just a sort of a strange sort of. It's that sort of thing where you know you think you know what it is, but you don't really want to confront it because mm. like what else what else could it be? Sort of put it to the back of my mind for a couple of weeks. And then realised it didn't go away by itself, and then got a doctor's appointment. Very told the doctor what was up. I got an appointment very quickly. Walk walk through the door, and oh no, it's a woman. <laughs> the, 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 the embarrassment of I know what is about to happen. <laughs> oh, of course. Yeah. <laughs> so tell the doctor what's happened. Up on the table, go through the sort of the embarrassment of that. And then I had to get an ultrasound, which was very, very weird, as you can imagine. <laughs> um, yes. Yeah, very, very odd. And then a couple of days later, all this is all within about the space of probably, probably about 10 days or something like that. Yeah. Oh, that's really quick. Yeah, really, really quick. It was all sort of, it was all a huge sort of body. You just got sort of get told what to do. And you're like, okay, I'll go here. I'll go see this person. A couple of days later, I got my results back that they didn't really know exactly what it was. They couldn't do a biopsy on it because if you do a biopsy on it, there's a risk that it could spread. Yeah. So um, I still remember what the doctor said to me. This was this was three days before Christmas. Oh, my God. On, yeah. Um, <laughs> he said to me, I don't know what it is, but it's got to come out. I was like, oh, oh okay, <laughs> so that seemed sort of pretty, a pretty sort of abrupt way of putting it. So this was December twenty second, roughly, I think, and by the fourth of January, I had my surgery. Wow! wow. Um, very quick. Yeah. Really, very quick. Um, testicular cancer can be quite aggressive sometimes, so it sort of it moves very quickly, and it can sort of it's got a very high survival rate, but it's quite aggressive. But uh, but at that at that time you said that uh, they they said we don't know exactly what this is but it has to come out. Yeah, pretty did much. They, did they did they ever mention the word cancer to you or is just like uh, they kept it like that very generic? Very sort of generic. I don't think the word cancer was ever used, but it was sort of suggested that it was. Okay. Yeah. Um, that probably was in your mind. I would imagine that that it might be that. Yeah, it was that thing where sort of you knew you you always kind of knew what the end result was going to become, but you just wanted like 
you sort of want someone to take your hand and walk you through it all and tell you every single thing, but you don't really get that. You just get get told, you know, move on to this next step. Um, and you just sort of have to deal with each step each day and then try and carry on, really. Yeah, these things are always, I mean, and especially when, when, when I think the worst thing you can do in these cases is go to online and try to uh, self-diagnosticate yourself, right? Because <laughs> always you say, I have yeah. a pain in my head. Oh, cancer. Yeah, exactly. Oh, uh, I had a little scratchy here. Oh, no, no, that's going to die tomorrow. <laughs> like, come on. It's like impossible, right? So, no. Yeah. But I, I, I luckily um, like stayed away from that. I didn't want to go on the internet and just just type in what... Like it's such a strange thing to do, and it's it's it doesn't help you. Does it? It doesn't help anyone in that situation. Yeah. So yeah, a couple of days later, had had my surgery. That was pretty pretty awful. I, th- I think it was a sort of like a it was quite a early on surgery. It was just a like I thought I'll be in for a couple of days, but it was just like an a day surgery thing. I was in the morning, out by the afternoon. Oh wow! Yeah, it was very quick. Did you, have, very... did you have like full anesthesia or was just local? Uh, no, full anesthesia. I put you to sleep. Oh, okay. Okay, but still, you left the same day. Yeah, just, yeah. I thought that was a bit sort of strange, really. Yeah, I thought it would have been like, a couple of days in, but, but apparently it's a very, very routine thing. <laughs> um, obviously, <laughs> obviously it doesn't feel like that at the time, but um, yeah, it was just a straight in and out on the day. Yeah, so I woke up from a surgery, started crying. Um, actually, I don't know why I just started crying. I don't. I was. I wasn't in any pain or anything. I think I don't know what happened. I just started crying and then had this overwhelming urge for apple juice. Okay. And then just kept asking for all. Yeah. <laughs> and then just kept asking for apple juice for ages. And then uh, they eventually got bored of me. And I could leave after I after I drank all the um, apple juice. Um, I couldn't um, put my shoes on, so I had to ask a nurse for to put the shoes on for me, <laughs> which was quite embarrassing. But she helped me out and put my shoes on for me like I was an old man. <laughs> well, and, just... I, and I quite happily walked. Sorry? Oh, no, go ahead. I was just going to say, you did go through a surgery. I know it's a, in and like they do it so quickly now, like in and out on the same day, but it's still quite traumatic. And to wake up from anesthesia, like yeah. everybody wakes up with such a different reaction. Mm, yeah. So they're used to it and used to helping you even though it's hard for you especially as someone who came from my as a woman I'm thinking of this as from a, a rugby kind of sporty background you know you're a young guy have this woman putting your shoes on for you yeah yeah it was a, it was it was a bit it was a long moment <laughs> yeah. um but I managed to I managed to walk out of the hospital though they offered me a wheelchair and I refused it so I walked out it sort of got on the way to my sort of recovery really I thought I was the end of it um that thought that was me done. Everything's finished. So I can now just carry on with whatever happens next. Um, and then I got a letter a couple of weeks later uh, telling me to go back to the hospital because um, they'd done tests on the tissue that they removed. Uh, and it turns out it was um, testicular cancer. Um, it was um, it was stage two testicular cancer, so it sort of spread into the sort of just sort of stomach sort of area, sort of that sort of bit because. It was sort of, they originally thought it was just going to be stage one and that was going to be the end of it, but apparently not. Um, so they sort of suggested at that time that I would maybe, they said, they said that I might have to do chemo, which is quite a sort of, not really committing to anything. I was like, well, you're, you're a doctor, you're supposed to tell me what I'm supposed to do, I don't know. So 
and I got sent through to a place in Scotland called Glasgow. It's the Beatson's Cancer Charity. They more or less do all the sort of chemotherapy for the whole of the west of Scotland, really. Uh, so I went through there, spoke to my doctor, and I would have to do chemotherapy, really. And at the time, it was sort of... I didn't really... I didn't really realise what it meant. It was just a sort of like, oh, you have to do chemo. It was all just sort of words at that point. And you couldn't really sort of deal with it. And then plus my girlfriend was with me as well. So I was sort of trying to be fine with it as well. But inside I was like, oh God, what, what did I do? So I remember, I remember on the way, on the, on the car uh, ride back, we were sort of just sitting talking about it. And I was I was trying to be so fine with it. I really wasn't. The, the longer that car went on, the more it sank, the more it sunk in what was about to happen. And then I done the thing that you shouldn't do as I, I went on Google and then that made it all ten times worse. <laughs> oh no. Yeah. <laughs> but um I initially went went in for I went in for chemo on the uh, on World Cancer Day actually. Which was which was <laughs> quite a coincidence. On oh, okay. Um, yeah. A sign um, okay. Somehow. Yeah, I think so. I think hi. <laughs> um and then just sort of like it was all sort of that whole day was just a whole sort of blur to me really. It was it was so nervous about what was happening and all the injections and everything happening and all the machine all these weird and wonderful machines that are in the room. And they weirdly got me a Domino's pizza as well, which is really strange. Not bad, eh? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I thought that was a bit odd. <laughs> and yeah, so my my chemo was um, BEP chemo, so three drugs. It's bleomycin, etoposide, and cisplatin, I believe it is. Um, so I had to get that at night. So I was in the hospital for three days, didn't sleep for the whole three days, didn't wash for the whole three days. I was awful. Oh. Yeah, just cause, just just because at night you can't really you can't really sort of concentrate on sleeping either because you're just sort of you're more worried about anything else as well, and you're sort of you just can't do anything just because you're so tired and then like even with your even when visitors come in you can't really you can't really be bothered with people coming in it's it sounds awful when you say it but at the time you're just like oh no and you've got to like talk to them and stuff like that yeah <laughs> but um yeah um chemotherapy sort of went okay it went okay for the most awful experience in my life i suppose but um pretty much my whole my for the whole of the sort of I think it was seven weeks I was doing chemotherapy. Seven weeks? Wow. Yeah. You just, so what would happen? You go back to the hospital every week for a certain period of time or? Uh, I would go in, it was it was two cycles um, pretty much. Um, I would go in for the weekend. I would go Friday, Saturday, Sunday. I would come home and then the following two Fridays I would go in and get an injection um, of cisplatin. Which is really, really sore, by the way. I don't recommend it. It's really sore. You have to get it um, injected into your bum as well, which is oh. also another, another degrading experience. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Yeah, but it's not fun. <laughs> no. It, yeah. It, it doesn't um, sound fun. Yeah. But even with, like, the... There was one... Like, one of the nurses made a bit of a mistake with me when I was, get, when I was getting the injection one Friday by... So I went into the hospital, you go in in the morning, you get blood taken, and then you go away for a couple of hours, you come back with your drugs, and then that's yours, you get it injected, didn't you? 
But apart from what I gather that happened is that she injected it straight into my bloodstream rather than into the muscle. Oh. So oh. rather than, yeah. So rather than me getting a sort of slow drip of it, I got a whole big dose of the, the drug. But I didn't realize, I didn't, it didn't really start taking effect till I got home. Because as soon as I got the injection, I just went straight home and that was me. So I was just, my dad dropped me off at my house. I just sat, I, just, I was sitting on the side, sort of shaking uncontrollably oh. and getting sort of really, really hot, but not sweating. Um, it was, and then just my heart just gone so, so fast. So I had to phone my dad and went to go to the hospital. Um, so well, initially what happened is I phoned the, um, the, hosp- the hospital, the cancer hospital, the emergency line, and it was um, busy. So that wasn't really helpful. So I had to just, <laughs> I had to just phone my dad back and he had to take me to the hospital. Um, and then my blood pressure just totally dropped. It was, it was, that was probably the weakest point I've ever been in my life. Got up to go to the toilet and couldn't even find the energy for it like squeeze out a pee. It was the weakest I've ever been in my life. Oh God. Yeah. It was, it was, a, that was probably the lowest point of it. Of the whole sort of experience of that, it was just not even having the energy for to go to the toilet. Mm. But then, but that, that that obviously was a mistake of of whoever supplied yeah. you the the injection that day, right? Yeah, I guess it was it was just it was an honest mistake. These things happen, but it was just it was such a sort of a dark moment. Yeah, throughout the whole sort of um, experience, really. So about three weeks into it, your hair starts to sort of fall out, really, which is quite annoying because I, I had quite a handsome looking beard at the time. Mm. But I'd be I'd been a I'd been a sort of a, a keen enthusiast of hair loss for a couple of years, so um, it was it sort of came as a, <laughs> it was sort of coming anyway. So it happened, um, and all my all my friends came round and we all shaved my head. It was a <laughs> it was a, <laughs> it, was a it was a weird party. <laughs> Can you imagine? Yeah, but um, uh, yeah, that was really sort of the whole sort of chemo thing there. Came at the end of it, and everything was sort of was fine really. Everything like it was never for me. For me, the whole cancer thing, it was never a it was never a death sentence. It was never like oh, this is this is going to kill you. It's just you have to get. It was just a sort of you have to get through this, and everything will be fine. So in that respect, my story is quite a good one. Unfortunately for other people, it's just not. It's not people aren't that lucky. Yeah. So in the end, what what you what you had was uh, the lump that you got discovered very quickly, and they mm-hmm. decided to remove. They they told you unfortunately three days before Christmas, like <laughs> not the best timing. Yeah. And then at least they gave you some time to to celebrate New Year's, and then they put you on the operating table. Yeah. Uh, but then they called you back to have like you said like seven weeks was it of chemotherapy. Yeah, seven weeks, I think it was, yeah. Yeah, including one wrong injection, which uh, got you to your <laughs> lowest point ever. Yeah. But uh, And how long ago was this? I finished in, it must have been March 2016, I think it was. Okay. 14th of March, I think my last day of chemo was. Okay. And that was it? And that was it over with. Um, still have to go back for um, checkups every now and again. And you've been clear ever since so far? Yeah, it's been clear ever since. It's sort of like uh, it's a five-year survival rate. If you if you reach five years, then you're a survivor, more or less. Um, there's no 
there's a very slim chance it will come it will come back. But it's a very, very slim. I think it's like a maybe a two percent chance that it will come back. So it still doesn't sort of take away the whole sort of this the fear of it may yeah. come back. But that sort of I'm sort of over all that now. It's just it, it, if it happens, it happens. It's one of those things. There's nothing you can really do about it, can you? Of course. Yeah. Yeah. Three percent's pretty pretty small. Yeah, exactly. Reassuring, you know. Yeah, I think there's more a chance of me getting um, cancer from the drugs that they gave me, like the chemo drugs, than actually getting <laughs> to <particular> cancer again. <laughs> Isn't it crazy the stuff we put in our body to get rid of the other things? Yeah, apparently um, we put poison in to. Yeah, exactly. To get the, the poison out, right? Apparently, um, because because of the drugs I got given, I will, um, I will almost definitely get high blood pressure when I'm older, which is which is something to look forward to, I suppose. Yay! <laughs> yeah. Um, <laughs> I done I done a study for something with Glasgow University. Um, they approached me and asked me when I was in the hospital for to take part in a study. It's for to try and stop this because they they can't they don't really know how it how it works at you will people who do BEP chemo will get high blood pressure when they're older. Okay. And I, do, I don't really know the results of it. I just got some blood taken really and that was it. <laughs> I got lots of blood taken um once every three weeks. Honestly so much. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Every three weeks with, sounds like a lot, yeah. Perhaps the biggest needle. Yeah. Um and yeah that was I don't, I've not really, I don't really know the results of it or anything like that. But yeah hopefully it does help at some point. Okay, interesting. But it's a, it's a, I mean, it's a horrible story in the sense that no one wants to to hear that six-letter word or go through that hor- mm. horrendous uh, poisoning experience. But yeah, at least you came out of it clean, stronger. Yeah. Uh, and then somehow you you fell in love with the beautiful sport of triathlon. <laughs> yes. Yes, I did. Yeah, so can you tell us a little bit about that? So when did that happen? Yeah. Did uh, was it uh, like short after you came out of this nightmare, or did it have anything to do uh, to to with that? So can you tell us a little bit about that? How do you start it with that? I can't even really remember off the top of my head what just made me decide that yes, I will do triathlon. It was sort of I read a book a couple of years ago called um, Operation Iron Man. Yeah, it's by a guy called George Mahood. Um, he had a he had a tumor in his spine, had the surgery, got better, and then done an Ironman four months after it. So that was always sort of it was always, it was always sort of an idea. I was like, well, that's incredible that people actually do that. And then one day I was just I was playing on the laptop one day, and then I came across a triathlon turn video, and then who I imagine just inspires quite a lot of people for to take up triathlon. Um, and just thought, yeah, I'm, I'm going to give it a bash. Um, it was my sort of it was. It was my sort of little my little journey to be normal again, to be me, to want to be Jordan, the guy that had cancer, and sort of for to stop sort of people giving you that, see that little smile that you give that people give you when something awful's happened to you. That sort of little the little grin. I don't really like that. I don't really like that grin. So it was sort of um, that was just me trying to just be a little bit different as well. Mm. Um, and yeah, that was sort of how I how I found triathlon and so there was really sort of no structure to it at all it was just I'll, I'll do a triathlon next year so there was there's a there's a triathlon club in my town 
they have they hold a triathlon every year, sprint one. So I done that, got to the end, which I sort of hardly wanted to do, and then two weeks later I done Windsor uh, triathlon, um, which is sort of down near London. Yeah, that was that, that was that was a really fun one. I remember it being at start, and I don't remember getting up ever so early in my life. <laughs> it was such a shock. What time did you end up having to get up? I think it was like three in the morning. I got up. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Oh and then sort of try to force some food down myself, just because even though I was so nervous, and because this was sort of this was like my my big race, I suppose if you want to call it. Yeah, so just try to force food down and then try and wake my girlfriend up. <laughs> <laughs> Which most likely most likely for her it was also a shock to wake up that early. No? Yeah, very much so. She's just pretending to be happy for me at that time. It was such an effort for her. <laughs> She's probably thinking you're a little crazy. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, a little bit, yeah. Um yeah, and I, and I really and the Windsor Triathlon was amazing. It's it's been it was one of the best experiences in my life. It was just it was so good. It was such a big event. I didn't realise it was such a huge event as well. Like all so many people, and you get to just—I just like looking at all the different equipment that people have as well, all the different bikes, and just really interesting people. Um, and the swim was—I really enjoyed the swim. The swim was in the Thames, and it was just so good. Um, it was my first time swimming in a uh, wetsuit, and it just—it just you just fly along, don't you? It's so much easier. Oh, <laughs> yeah, float. You put that on, and you're right on the top of the water. Yeah, I think I took two minutes of my PB on the swim. I think that was more out of excitement as well, of just get just the whole sort of excitement of the whole day is just to just go fast. But that sort of came back to bite me when I went on the run. And <laughs> yeah, the, the run didn't go as well as I, as I told. <laughs> <laughs> Apparently, Windsor's quite hilly. <laughs> <laughs> and yeah, those that was my first sort of two um, triathlons that year. And then I thought, I thought like, I thought to myself, well, I have the, I have this sus now. That's me. I'm a, I'm a triathlete now. Yeah. And so, and then what what sort of distance were these triathlons? Yeah, uh, they were both sprint distance. Good. Sprint distance. Yeah. Okay, that's a good way to start. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, that was just my sort of um, starting really. Um, and yeah, so the next year, uh, which would be last year, I signed up for three, just thinking that that would be easy because I've rather rather arrogantly thought I had it had it all sussed out. <laughs> Um, <laughs> um, and I, I didn't. <laughs> so, went to my first race last year. It was pouring with rain. Absolutely. Oh God! Well, we live in Scotland, so it rains all the time, really. So, <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, so this one was in Strathclyde Park. Um, I think it was just after European Championships, so we got to run the sort of the course, that some of that course anyway, at least. Okay. And got uh, already cold before I went into the water didn't really eat enough before it oh. got into the water and just that sort of shocked feeling of <gasps> of your breath getting taken away from you yep yeah that, that awful feeling oh yeah as soon as I got in the water I sort of knew like oh this isn't gonna go to plan when the gun went off in the swim got about 100 meters into the swim and just stopped I don't know what happened I just had to stop for a wee second and just take a moment and I didn't even know, I still, I still don't really know what happened. It was just, my confidence went, I don't know why I just got inside my head and it was just, oh, this is just, this is just a tragic experience just now. Oh, and no. then, yeah, so sort of got through the swim, persevered for the swim, really persevered for the bike. 
Um, and the run was the worst run I've ever done. I think my 5k time was like, I think it was 40 minutes or something like that. It was something awful. At the end of that race, I realised that uh, my, <laughs> my front, the front brake of my bike was still on just ever so slightly throughout the whole oh. cycle. Um, so it, it does pay for you to look at your bike before you actually go. <laughs> my God. Oh my gosh. Yeah. That makes the ride like so much harder. I can't believe you you did that. Yeah. You like, you, you finished the whole race with that break and yeah it wasn't at the end i was just kicking myself i was like oh it was hard already and now i've got to to do that Um, (laughs) then my second race sort of didn't even i didn't get the registration it was supposed to be the the locked hair triathlon um drove up it was about i think it was a two-hour drive for to get there and didn't even have the bottle for to go to registration. Just couldn't do it. Just I just couldn't do it. I don't know what it was. Just everything got better off me. Really? Yeah. I mean, this was this was your fourth triathlon. Yeah. Yes. You can say now you've already been. You've done it. You've managed like crazy things in your races, and suddenly not even you cannot get to the registration. Yeah, I think in the in the middle of those two races, I changed job. Um, I've, I'm I'm a chef, and it wasn't okay. Nice, and I decided I didn't want to do it anymore because it wasn't really sort of a healthy sort of. It's not really a healthy profession for your sort of your whole mental health, really. And then sort of yeah, and then I changed my job, became an estate agent, which I was truly awful at. I really, <laughs> it was one. Of the, it was the first job I got offered, and I thought, "Yeah, I could do that," and I totally can't do it. <laughs> well, that's a stressful occupation as well, right? Yeah, especially when you have no idea what you're doing as well. And it's all commission based, so it's uh, no, really, not really so much in Britain. Really, it's sort of you get a salary. Sort of thing. Oh, okay. Um, it was just for a little small company, really. So I think that's how I managed to get the job because it was just I think I might have been the only person that turned up for the interview. Um, <laughs> And then I about I was six weeks into that job and my granddad died of throat cancer. Oh. Oh. Yeah. So left work, uh, went to the hospice, did what we had to do at the hospice, and then I went back to work on the Monday and got told that because I left, I no longer worked there. Oh, my God. Yeah. Oh, that that's horrible. Yeah, I know. Um, so that I think that was mostly the reason. Like my head just wasn't in the right place for the for the Octay triathlon. Yeah, of course. Yeah, so that I think that's more more to do with anything else, really. Well, you had a lot to deal with. I mean, your grandfather passed from cancer, which you had just recently been fighting yourself. Yeah. You switched professions. Um, all together in hopes, my understanding is that, you know, it'd be better for your, your mental well-being and your mental health. And then you, you leave, which any person should be able to do to go, you know, to your family member at that point in time. And then you come back and they tell you that because you left to go do that, you can't have your job anymore. Yeah, exactly. I don't know. Like I can understand why maybe you didn't make it to that registration desk. Yeah. You know? So yeah, that sort of happened there, and um, and then so I had I had one more race to do, 
it was in Peebles, which is sort of on the bo- more or less the border between Scotland and England. And this time I was sort of I was more determined for to sort of for to do it. And this turned out to be the sort of the best race I've ever had. I done I did a lot more sort of a lot more sort of weights weight training into my training. Um and I just felt so much stronger in that race. I felt so much better. I was first out the pool, which was quite which was quite a big achievement. I'd done the whole run without stopping, which was a first for me. Awesome. <laughs> yeah. And even though my time wasn't even still that great, I think it was a sprint. It was still a sprint triathlon, so I think it was like an hour, an hour and thirty. But even then, it was still my best race. So that was that was a really big moment for me. Yeah, that that always feels amazing. You know? Whenever you have a PB at anything, yeah. it's always that that sort of feeling. Yeah. Yeah. Completely get it. Yeah. And then I decided that off off of that, I would sort of, I wouldn't do any this year. I would stop. I would stop for this year and sort of work on a lot of sort of issues that I had going on in my head, sort of thing. From the last few years, it's sort of developed quite a lot of sort of anxiety surround not even not even surround really anything specific, but just dead sort of sort of antsy and everything like that. Really struggling to sleep at night and becoming quite sort of quite sort of angry quite a lot of the time. And that was that was one of my main reasons for sort of leaving the kitchen as well was that I wasn't I wasn't really sort of being a nice person to work with really it was it was just, it was just awful really it was sort of a pretty it was a pretty sort of dark realization it was like well I'm not really all that nice <laughs> what, what, what what do you what do you think this uh this sort of uh other this Dr Jekyll Mr Hyde <laughs> sort of side of you came out yeah that's sort of what it was it was um I don't really know but even really caused it it was just sort of I think it was the sort of the high pressure of the job and sort of all the all the anxieties from like the, two, the last two three years all sort of coming out at one time because it sort of took me a few years for it to get to the point where I was like where I could realize what had happened what had just happened to me yeah because everything was such a huge rush of just oh you've got cancer now do this now do that oh triathlon and then that's <laughs> and, then, <laughs> and then when you stop yeah. yeah and then like when you stopped like whoa whoa and then you finally realize what sort of what happened to you and what what you've been through and then that's what that was what i imagine is what caused it all um i went to the doctors for to sort of speak to them and i was i was very sure that wasn't going to go down the whole sort of like just take your tablets and that'll fix it because i was very i was very aware it was happening so i didn't really need tablets i'm always quite self-aware of of myself and my mood and how I sort of react to other people, or how other people react to me mostly. Um, so I had to sort of, pretty much had to just sit down and have a think about what to do, um, what to do with my life and what to do with my own sort of, my own faults, really. Mm. And as far as far as I know, everything's gone quite well. I've, <laughs> I've, I've managed to find another job. I'm back in, I'm back in the kitchen, but it's in a sort of, it's in a better environment. The hours are better. I get to, I work four days a week. I finish at five thirty at night, so I've got a lot more sort of time to myself now for spending my girlfriend and my family and all that. So it makes it, it makes life a lot easier. Right. I'm still doing the job. I'm still doing the job that I love, but I get more time to do things because I'm sort of I'm a sort of person that I find my sort of myself worth in my job. I always need to be good at it. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. For yeah. sure. So now, is your girlfriend 
been with you through all the cancer? Is this the same girlfriend from, you know, when you were diagnosed? Yeah, we've been together for seven years. That's a long time. Yeah, it's long, isn't it? <laughs> I'm, yeah. I'm going to ask if you, you're going to ask her to marry her at any point in time, <laughs> or if you have already. Uh, no, I've not asked her yet. You're probably not going to answer that, are you? Uh, no. <laughs> <laughs> she'll probably she'll listen to this. She'll listen to this, so we'll, I'll keep quiet about it. <laughs> yeah, don't tell her about the podcast yet. Yeah, don't tell her yet. <laughs> so, um, <laughs> you know, she's been she's been there, and you talked about how, you know, you kind of went through the Jekyll and Hyde period, and you know, she's been there through that. How how has she handled, um, you know, your illness and your recovery and and uh, finding your way forward. She's always been massively supportive of everything that I do, no matter what it is. She's always been there for me. She's she's sort of the one thing that's always there. She's always she's she's a massive part of my life. She's probably the biggest part of my life. She's 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 faultless in what she does, and she's always she's always there for me, no matter what. It's important. Actually, it's okay if you let her listen to the podcast. It's okay. It's really fine. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> you just said that. Like, she's going yeah, like, to be, like, so happy. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah, I'll listen to that bit, and then that's, oh, that was all they asked you. <laughs> <laughs> that's right. What? <laughs> she sounds like a keeper to me. <laughs> yeah, she is very much a keeper. <laughs> yeah. Now, does she train with you at all? Is she, like, ride a bike with you or train for triathlon or... Um, she she's been doing CrossFit for about four years. Oh, okay. Um, yeah, I've done it, I've done it a couple of times. It is the hardest thing in the world. <laughs> I couldn't move my arms for like two weeks after it. it was so I was so sore. But she, I managed to convince her to do two triathlons. Um, and she done Peebles with me last year, and she finished first in her heat which she was really oh. wow. yeah. <laughs> she discovered a power yeah i was just wait, i was just waiting at the end i was like oh, oh is that and i could just <laughs> i could just see her off in the distance like wow like run faster and then she, it was incredible nice <laughs> you better watch out <laughs> yeah i know <laughs> yeah she's she's incredible she's she does so many things as well she just tries to hand it like so so many different things She's um she's training just now to do like a physique competition as well, so she's at the gym like five six times a week now, which puts me massively to shame. Yeah, I um uh, that CrossFit is incredible. I tried it. I did a, a little bit for a while when I got back into sports after having kids, and just to try to get some strength back. And it's yeah. it's tough. Yeah, it's so exhausting, isn't it? Yeah, it is like to to go and do like what a hundred pull ups and three hundred squats and like run a mile and run another mile. Like, how do you do that all? And how and you have to do it all faster because you're trying to get a time and do all of it. It's like no wonder those girls look the way they look. Like, just incredible. Yeah, it's incredible. See the see when you watch like the CrossFit Games. It's like, how do people do that? Yes, it's just huge. Just I watch that. We watch it all the time on Netflix. Like whenever the new <laughs> new uh, World Championships come out or the CrossFit Games come out, we like. All right, let's watch because yeah. <laughs> it's so amazing. <laughs> yeah. yeah, and then they then they say you know the triathletes are the crazy people because we spend so much time like swimming, biking, running, waking up at five in the morning every day and missing everything. And suddenly you have these people who are, because you you understand right? So we we do this because there's always the thrill maybe of the 
of being on the outdoors water, very beautiful background, or being on the speed on the bike, or the community, the race uh, sort of feeling. But then you have these, the, the, the crossfitters who are suffering like hell, like as if you are in a, in a military boot camp <laughs> and you are inside, and all you do this all the time inside a very stuffy, uh, windowless uh, place, and just like going crazy, like oh, up, 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 and on, in, all within a time, right? So, uh, yeah. We're not the only crazy ones. <laughs> <laughs> Correct. <laughs> But that, that's, that's, you know, it's so important. That's important too, you know, that she's there not only supporting you through all your things, but she's also athletic. So she has that understanding, yeah, that, yeah. you know, of, of you wanting to do those things as well. Yeah, she's really she's the thing I do. She was, she was even supportive when I decided that I was going to um, build my own bike a couple of months back. And she was, she's put up with all the bike parts sitting around the kitchen table when the bike is still sitting in the kitchen ta- kitchen just now. Um, <laughs> the, place, the place is an absolute mess, but my, my bike looks so pretty and I'm so proud of it because it's mine. <laughs> I understand. My, mine, is, mine is set up. Um, I have mine in my living room. <laughs> uh, really? <laughs> and then I don't want to be down in the basement on my trainer. So I have the trainer up there too. <laughs> uh, <laughs> I've, well, I've managed to set up a little pain cave for myself and um, there's, I've got a whole big deal. That's my... That's, so I've got my turbo trainer and stuff like that in there, and that's, that's my little my own little space that I can have. No get no girls allowed. No girls allowed. <laughs> <laughs> that's all right. Hey, I um I looked at some of your pictures, mm-hmm. and I'm always fascinated. So I always like to ask um, about the tattoos that you have because mm-hmm. generally they tell a story of some yeah. sort, and you have quite a few. So. Can you talk a little bit about your tattoos and if any of them have meaning or? None of mine have any meaning at all. Unfortunately, I don't have any. Oh, okay. Yeah, I don't have any sort of deep, profound thing. I just I, I like them. That was it. That's okay. Um, it's it started off just getting a three quarter sleeve, and then before I knew it, I was absolutely covered. Yeah. Um, yeah, that was that's really it. Was, I'm sort of I've got my legs to do. Then apart from that, I think that's it. That's done. It's sort of it's too painful and too expensive now. Yeah. Before I could like when I when I was a little bit younger, I could sit through like six hours of getting tattooed. Now, about an hour in, I'm tapping out already. Yeah, I have a there's a gentleman that cycles with us now, uh, recently, and he has lots of tattoos too. And I was asking him this on our ride on Sunday. Yeah. About his tattoos, and he said the same thing. He doesn't really have, none of them really have a real meaning. Um, except for one and it's the name of his cat that had passed away. Oh. But it had they had made a mistake on writing the cat's name was Madison, but they put a Y in the oh, the name no. instead of an I. So he goes, now it looks like a stripper on my hand. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. He's like, it's like is it my my yeah. So it was it was pretty funny. But he said the same thing. He just he really likes he just you know, he got some tattoos. He enjoyed he wanted more. He, he has a friend that does them. So he actually trades. They make trades. His friend does the tattoos and he will, um, he said he helped build a motorcycle for him or oh, nice. uh, he designs suits and shirts and things. So, you know, he might do that. So maybe that's a way to. Well, I wish I could trade tattoos. Or That'd be quite good. Some cooking. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> one, th- one thing I would mass- I would like to do is I'd like to get my throat tattooed. 
if I, if I never had to work again, I would get my throat tattooed. But unfortunately, that was <laughs> that's the one thing. I would, if, I, if I won the lottery or if I came into millions of pounds, that's the first thing I would do. I would go to a tattoo <laughs> shop and get my throat tattooed. Huh. I just think it looks so nice. <laughs> Interesting. Just have that desire. <laughs> but you, like, you could sort of run the risk of looking like a thug, don't you? No, but, but, but do you think do you think that if you get it done, you could not work uh, in the kitchen anymore? I think it's more accepted in kitchens, but I think if I, if I did, did want to change career, it's always that sort of what if. Oh, like, yeah. If I didn't want to do that anymore. Yeah. It would be fine. Plus, I don't think my girlfriend would be too happy about it either. <laughs> whenever I mention, whenever I mention it, she has a little skibble on her face. Of course. <laughs> yeah. yeah, probably. I, I might too. <laughs> yeah, anywhere else? Anywhere else? Yeah, it's more, it's more of a lifestyle choice, really, isn't it? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> mm, exactly. And uh, I wanted to ask you something uh, because you said uh, obviously this. Uh, just to ask a little bit more about this chef sort of whole thing. So, what sort of uh, food do you usually cook so what sort of kitchen do you work at so can you tell us a little bit about that I've mostly sort of worked in just sort of steakhouse sort of things sort of quite simple food I like sort of I just like quite simple sort of food your, food your mum could make that sort of thing that makes people happy nothing that, yeah yeah it makes people it brings people happiness that's what I like I like seeing people eating my food and put a big smile on their face rather than sort of deconstructing it and sort of wondering what it is really. <laughs> fair enough I think, a lot of chefs, I think a lot of chefs are quite guilty of that of just sort of making it something it's not I like that you know what because that's like it really is it's a comfort right it's a comfort food it's something that you know you're gonna go and if someone does the steak or the the roast beef and the potatoes just right it's like you've had the best meal ever yeah that's the thing and because it's it's so simple it's sort of you can't it's so sort of easy to mess it up as well. So you have to be really good at it. So see, like even just even just boiling an egg, it's such a simple thing that if anything goes wrong, that's it messed up. Or even as sim- simple as a steak, everyone knows how they like their steak cooked. So if you mess it up, then that's it. You've ruined their dinner, haven't you? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So yeah, it's a way of sort of it's a way of keeping it simple, but also being good at my job as well. <laughs> Exactly. Exactly. But I think also helps that uh, well, the Scottish beef is uh, is is pretty. It's worldwide famous, right? So yeah, it's incredible. Definitely. Yeah. Well, I'd like to go visit Scotland at some point. So you should come. It sounds like the food I kind of like to eat. What <laughs> <laughs> food? Have you tried haggis? No, I haven't tried haggis. You haven't yeah. tried haggis. Yeah. So for people that don't know what haggis is, can you um, explain what that is for our people who are listening? It's sort of it's sort of oats and spices all sort of wrapped up in a sheep's stomach. Okay. And then it, get, then it gets boiled. It's sort of in the same way of that. Yeah, I know it sounds delicious, doesn't it? Um, that sounded a little sarcastic, Charles, was that? Oh, maybe. <laughs> But yeah, it does. It doesn't sound appealing. It doesn't even look that appealing, but it does taste amazing. Well, but to be fair, I mean, I love, uh, I love. Uh, are you calling on the on the full English breakfast? You have uh, like uh, the the black pudding, right? And the black pudding. If you explain exactly what it is, you, you may have yeah. a similar situation. But I love it. So yeah. I guess. Well, black pudding and haggis are kind of are more or less the same thing. There you go. Well, then I, you know what, you made it sound. Like you were very truthful yeah. that it doesn't look good, <laughs> but it tastes good. Yeah. So I would be very open to giving that a try. Yeah. 
Actually, I know a story. There's a weird sort of story about Canada and haggis because you live in Canada, don't you? I do. Yeah. Yeah. So apparently, what um, in America, haggis is illegal because it's got sheep's lungs in it or something like that, and they used to um, sort of smuggle them across the border from Canada. They used to get them delivered from Scotland to Canada, then smuggle them across the border. Well, yeah, because you're not allowed to bring um, like uh, meat or animal products or, or fresh fruit from yeah. Canada to the US. Yeah. <laughs> so it used to be haggis smugglers. That's right. <laughs> <laughs> what a job. <laughs> yeah, because I bet like on our East Coast, we like the like I'm I'm in the Toronto type area, Niagara, mm-hmm. but if you go to the East Coast, you know, there's a lot more of the influence from from Ireland and Scotland and England on that yeah. side than there is as the further you move west. So Oh, I see. They probably I'm sure they have that there. I'll have to ask my colleagues at work. Yeah, yeah get them to bring one in. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All right. It's been a very pleasant conversation so far. Yeah. A lot of topics, actually a lot of topics we've discussed today. Yeah, and you've had no issues talking. You are awesome. Exactly. Yeah, I thought I would have been awful. <laughs> yeah. No, no, no. Well done. Yeah. Thanks. Well done, you. I thought I might have needed a translator because my sort of, I've got quite a thick Scottish accent, but I think I'm doing okay. I'm really, I'm really trying to enunciate all my words. <laughs> <laughs> you know what I said to my daughter before we started? <laughs> I said, oh, I hope that I can understand his accent okay. And she's like, mom, he's from Scotland, not from like no, somewhere else. I'm like, I know, but sometimes like like dip, dip, any of the islands, like or Ireland or Scotland or, you know, England, some, some areas have stronger accents than others, right? Yeah, see sort of up the north of Scotland, I can't understand what you say. It's honestly, it's awful. Oh wow! Yeah, seeing like in like Aberdeen, Inverness sort of area, they speak a totally different language up there. It's sort of, <laughs> it's sort of English, but then it's also just like a big pile of gibberish, sort of thrown in. <laughs> it's honestly, it's so bad. Yeah, I can imagine. I mean, I went to Edinburgh like uh, in March, and I was fine. I think okay, I, I get you guys. Yeah, Edinburgh's quite a sort of gentle accent, though, isn't it? Yeah, yeah to be fair, yeah. It's a good, it's a good doctor's accent. I think it's quite, it's quite sort of, it's quite <laughs> soft and doctor. Yeah, it's quite soft and nice. I think easy to listen to. Yeah. Yeah, you can, yeah I... definitely. <laughs> and not only that, just from so, the women's side of things, sometimes a really nice accent just adds to the whole package. Yeah, I think so. Of the guy. Guys out there, take note. That's right. Make an accent if you have to. <laughs> oh, God, there be so many awful Scottish accents now. <laughs> That'll be... People all trying them out. That's right. <laughs> so just going to ask you, um, you know, we have a few questions we usually ask at the end of, of our podcast with our guests. And, and um, you know, what message would you want people listening to the podcast today to take away from your story? Just do what you can do, really. That's sort of it. That's that's really my sort of my whole sort of ethos is the only thing you can do is do what you can do. Yeah. Even if it's down to like 
you can't do that much training, you can't do much of that, but you can just, just do anything. Anything's better than nothing. It's true. Indeed. Yeah, it's true. And, and you know, you're you're definitely an example, especially like three weeks out from chemotherapy, you're, you're, you're back, you know, trying to live your life. Yeah. You know, the way you want to. Indeed. And um, are there any people or brands that you'd like to give a shout out to? Well, I'd like to obviously just like my family and all my friends, um, Scott, Jamie, Danny, Robbie, Will. Will, who is, who is a massive influence. Will lives in Australia. Um, huh. he, came, he came to school um, when I was in high school and he's sort of, I went and visited him in October there and I just sort of, I sort of wish I could have spoke to him a bit more because we didn't really have the opportunity for him to sit down and sort of speak about everything that had happened to me over the last few years. Just that opportunity never arose. I sort of really wish I could have. Quite, I'm quite envious of his life as well. He's got a very idyllic life. <laughs> he lives in the sort of he lives in the sort of sort of rainforesty area on the um, the east coast of Australia, and it's just a beautiful place. And of course, my my girlfriend Lisa, who's always been there to support me, and and little baby Ruby as well. And who's baby Ruby? Uh, that's my sister's um, little one. Ah. Yeah, three year old. Oh, super cute. Yeah. Probably loves her uncle Jordan. Oh, she loves him. Yeah. <laughs> Only when she wants sweet bro. <laughs> she knows where to go. She knows who to manipulate. Oh, <laughs> yeah, exactly. Me, me and her granddad, Julie. So, before we ask our very last question. Can you tell everybody listening where they can find you online? Probably the best one on Instagram. It's Jordy Graham. Um, and that's it. That's only the sort of social media presence that I have. Okay. Well, and like, just like Sheila said, uh, this question, no one can escape uh, from <laughs> if you come to the podcast. So, Mr. Jordan, uh, why do you try? Honestly, I don't know. Okay. <laughs> that is- I honestly do not know why I do it. I just, I just do it because, it's because. <laughs> Although that might not be the answer that you're looking for, but I, I honestly do not know why I do it. But it keeps drawing me back all the time. It's, it's difficult. It's time consuming, but I keep, keep doing it. And you know what? There's no particular answer that we're looking for because everybody has yeah. a different reason for, for doing things, and sometimes it takes a while for us to figure out what that reason is. And, uh, yeah. you know, if you love it and it's a challenge for you, you, you do what, like you said, you just do what you can do and do what you do. Hopefully one day I'll find out. All right. Thank you very much, Jordan, for today. I think it was, uh, it was a pleasure to have you on and to hear your story and also have an honor to be able to share it you know, with, yeah. uh, with all of the listeners out there. Yeah, thanks very much for having me. I really enjoyed it. Oh, thank you. And to the listeners, I mean, we're sorry that our supreme leader was not able to, to make it today. Uh, yeah, so I think next, uh, so the next podcast you should uh, hear uh, Swapneil's uh, soothing voice back. So, worry not. That's right. Thanks for listening, everyone. Thanks for being a part of this Humans of Triathlon community. Hope you're enjoying the show and the other content. Make sure to join us again next week here on the Hot Podcast, where we'll bring you another amazing guest and story from this Audrey but extra Audrey world of triathlon. Until then, everyone, keep trying.